Hi, this is Maximilian Osinski, and you're listening to Talking Lasso. See, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. Honey, is that an ingredient, or is that something you just call me right now? Ingredient. Shoot, I was kind of hoping it was the other one. How worried are you about the threat of relegation? Well, Lloyd, right now I'm mostly concerned with the definition of relegation. Congrats. You both just met a cool person. <laughs> On three, one, two, three. Yo. Yo. How's it going, Josh? It's going all right. Having a pretty good day. It's a beautiful 77 degrees outside. I don't know what that is in Celsius where the rest of the world would know. But it's it's nice. Let's just say that. Well, we're on a whopping seven degrees Celsius right here. But the room I record in is quite small and my PC gets very hot. So... Um, if I start to to take my clothes off, Josh, that's just for your eyes only. All right, <laughs> I will make sure to screenshot. It's going to be one of those episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Mm, um, it gets so quite steamy at the end this week. Before we get into it, Josh, what do we need to remember to do? We need to say spoiler warnings. Spoiler warnings for Ted Lasso series one, two, and three, but particularly series three, episode five, Signs. Um, I'll kick us yeah. off, Josh. So, so we're going to go in our normal format. Um, I would say, and and I know that we haven't really said this for the episodes before this. If you're a fan of the show and you haven't seen this episode before you listen to this podcast, I would strongly recommend watching it before listening because more so than any of the others because this episode to me was unbelievable and heavy and covered a lot of stuff yes very very heavy episode um it starts off pretty nice and then as we we hit a turning point uh with one of our favorite ladies um the episode takes a pretty pretty weighted turn yeah yeah, I mean, you say it starts off pretty nice, but what we actually start off with is um, a seven-week no-run streak, again, with a 4-2 loss against Newcastle. Um, and there was something that happened in, in this, in the commentary of the episode, where they're talking about, like, despite Zava, there seems to be a problem at Richmond, and it seems to be in the dugout. And I think there's a bit of a theme in this episode that we, we'll hear a few times, where suggestions that... Ted's job isn't necessarily safe at Richmond, which mm-hmm. I thought was surprising considering how he's our, our hero within this, this universe. Yeah. And uh, I think by the end of the episode, we kind of, Ted has diagnosed what the issue really is and he just hasn't really made anyone else aware of it. Obviously the commentators mm. and pundits aren't going to know, um, but Ted is aware that something's off and it, in this episode, it seems like he figures it out. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested to see where this one goes. But um, after the loss to to Newcastle, we we end up in the coach's room, and this was had one of my favorite comedy lines with him. And I have to specify comedy lines because the my favorite thing of Ted Lasso all three series is in this episode, and we'll get to it right at the end. Um, but it had one of my comedy lines in there where Higgins is reading his phone, and he says. Even with Zava, Richmond eat more ass than your mum. And uh, Coach Beard goes, you need to get off Twitter. And then Higgins replies, no, that one's a text from my father. (laughs) (laughs) TMI, Dad. Which which I really, really liked. But there's clear frustration with the coaching team. They can't quite work out what's going wrong. Um, uh, But it's kind of like it's manageable frustration at that point. And then Ted comes in. He can't figure out what's going wrong either. And then Rebecca comes in and she doesn't care about figuring out what's going wrong. What she screams at Ted is, when are we going to fucking win a game? Which I thought, yep, we, she... we, we haven't, we're seeing more of the frustration side of this from Rebecca as this season grows. We had one moment in episode one where I said to you, is this the first time that we've seen Rebecca get like really frustrated with Ted? It might have been episode two. Um, but this is like blowing her lid, going mad at Ted in front of a room full of people. And Ted is obviously taken aback by it, by his answer. 
Yeah, he he is definitely flustered by it, uh, but not to the point where he will show that he is shook. Yeah. Um, but you can tell that the weight of the loss to Rupert's team has weighed on her, and then the the continued failures uh, for not. It's implied that they've not won in seven weeks. They may maybe they've had ties or yeah, maybe. Uh, straight up losses, but. Uh, they have not won a match since the week before they went to West Ham. But they do have, they show a sign at the start of this where it says, um, Beard writes down, played uh, points 24, losses 3, draws 6, wins, and I can't quite see the number that he, he writes there. I think we're forgetting that this is a newly promoted team that were predicted to finish at the bottom of the table and are still in the top half of the table to me this is successful i know they're on a bit of a dry spell but for for a newly promoted team you would expect them to just languish at the bottom for the entire season which they're not doing yeah the 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 term is table if i'm correct the the standings yeah yeah yeah, they call it The, the table but you can say the standings i think it all means the same the the standings that they show at the end of the match on the tv um they show Richmond is in ninth place with 24 points. Uh, their record is six wins, six draws, and three losses. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what GD stands for. Goal. So that's goal difference. It's either plus okay. or negative. It's your goal scored minus your goals conceded. I'm guessing that's some kind of tiebreaker. Uh, if if the points are the same at the end of the season, they'll use goal difference, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, Richmond is... Uh, Six wins, six draws, three losses at 24 points. So they're in ninth place, which you would think that's pretty good considering they're in a, a league of 20 teams. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I said, they're well ahead of expectations. Newly promoted. I would, if even now, my team's been in the Premier League for three seasons. We're doing a lot better now. But if after 15 games we were ninth place, 24 points, I would be very, very, very pleased. Well, in the Ted Lasso universe, our team, Aston Villa, is 8, 4, and 3 with 28 points. They're in seventh place. Nice. So suddenly I feel vilified. <laughs> um, that is very good. Thank you, Josh. I missed that. Um, <laughs> well, we'll, I think, so I was speaking to someone about this, and we, we had a conversation about which team has been omitted from the Premier League to fit Richmond in in real life. Um, and a lot of places suggest that it's Brighton. But I don't think it is. I think they might appear on that table. I might be wrong. But the reason I think... Uh, the Sorry. The one I'm looking at, we've got Man City, West Ham, Arsenal, mm-hmm. uh, Manchester United, Leeds, United, Chelsea, Aston Villa, Everton, Richmond, and Newcastle. Okay, so that's the top half. Um, but the reason that Brighton is funny is because Richmond are based on Crystal Palace and Brighton are Crystal Palace's biggest rivals um so if they cut them out for the sake of ted lasso i would find that really funny but anyway we've gone off on a tangent here let's let's bring this all back um <laughs> the next thing we have after the title sequence is rebecca in a restaurant by herself and she runs into an old flame they went on a few dates and then rebecca dumped him but he has come to the um restaurant with his new fiance and his fiance says that she was his Shite in Nining Armour, which is a callback to Rebecca's um, trip to the psychic. I was going to say psychiatrist. That's not not right. Um, (laughs) I have a couple of things to say about this scene. Uh, The guy, the old flame, John, I think his name is, he's wearing a Manchester United and Man City half and half scarf over... I was going to bring that up for you. ...over a suit jacket in a nice restaurant. (laughs) What is going on there? Yeah, I, I don't know if you remember in season two when uh, Roy and Keeley have their is he good enough for Rebecca date with double date with them. Rebecca says that he's football mad and he, he Roy asks him, who do you root for? And he says, oh, Man City, Man United, whoever's doing oh. better. He's a fair weather fan. So I, I thought that was a really nice touch that he would actually go out of his way to fu- have probably a custom made <laughs> scarf that has both on there yeah that's funny i i didn't realize it was the same guy that's well well spotted josh um that explains all of my concerns about this man sort of um, <laughs> but half and half scarves are a scourge on 
football. <laughs> They're awful. They are they are the definition of being made for tourism. And everyone that likes football doesn't like half and half scarves. So especially to have them as rivals teams like Manchester United and Manchester City, that is gross. Yeah. And speaking of gross, <laughs> this guy uh walks in with his fiance and pretty much implies that he regularly brings her to this coffee shop just in case Rebecca might be there and maybe she will take him back. He's, he's a weird guy. I mean, he ushers her out. uh, He ushers his fiance out quite quickly, um, which I think would imply that he's maybe not wanting Rebecca back, but he's yeah. I, I didn't realize it was the same man as season two. He looks a little bit different. I'm not quite sure what it is, um, but yeah, he definitely doesn't look the same, but it, it's the same guy. They they definitely make a point to make sure that we get that it's the same guy, especially because of the scarf. Fair enough. Well, off the back of that, the, the shite and nining armor comment, Rebecca wants to talk to Keeley. Um, so she calls Keeley and this is where we cut to the the PR agency. There's a lot of cutting in this. There's no especially long scene apart from the end of this episode. So you'll hear me say we cut to a fair amount in this episode. Um, but Keeley, Jack and Barbara are all in a meeting together. And the subject of the meeting is whether they expand, get more clients in. Keeley doesn't want to. Barbara explains that's how growth happens. Uh, and Jack agrees and backs Keeley. Um, which I think was a nice touch because this is, I didn't expect Barbara to act shitty towards Jack. Um, but when she doesn't get her way, Barbara sort of storms mm-hmm. out like, yes, that's fine. Whatever, blah, blah, blah. We'll never grow as a company. And uh, Jack says something along the lines of, do you ever think that sunshine is jealous of her? <laughs> which I thought was quite, quite It was funny. a great way to get us to um, actually connect with Jack real quickly, because again, she doesn't, she didn't say much in the previous episode. Uh, she just had some, looks on her face of like concern and doubt and yeah. unsuredness. And first thing she says yeah. this week is a, a good, a pretty good joke. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I think Jack doesn't say Jack's far more prevalent during this episode, but she still doesn't say a whole lot really. Um, she's quite, quite mild, mild. No, not mild. She's quite softly spoken throughout the whole episode and, and doesn't speak up. So what she says needs to be more impactful, which I think they do really well. But Barbara leaves the door open and Shandy's comes in and says, now that you've had your cool girls club meeting, I've made a new app. And Keely looks impressed and she says, it's a, it's a new app called Starfucker where you can go off and have sex with celebrities. And it's a clear, it's it's out of frustration from keely making her change banter back to what it should be after she tried to make this what banter is in the last episode the the real world person in me in this moment went okay well she's fired she's created a competing (laughs) app um she can't work here anymore and they're just like oh Mm. that's shandy she's so silly time to fire her (laughs) yeah was Jack your inner inner voice real world eventually when she suggested firing Shandy? Um, I don't, I th- I think the joke that she starts feeding Keely the line of like, this is how you fire her. That didn't <laughs> land really well for me. Cause I'm like, you, you don't just start with the line. Cause Keely's going to think you're firing her. And sure enough, that's what yeah, happens. Which she does. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she says, I'm going to have to let you go. You're very passionate. I know you'll land on your feet. And the point was that she's doing an opposite of a shit sandwich, which is the compliment mm-hmm. sandwich. Um, and Keely believes that she is the one who's getting fired. Which, um, I mean... That's the joke that didn't land. No, it, it definitely didn't land for me. But also, like, I don't... If Jack were more ruthless, I don't think she would be out of the out of a, a bad place to actually do that because Keely brought in this wild card in shandy mm. and now all of a sudden they're creating a hostile work environment and creating competing apps maybe you question keely's yeah, judgment well, in that moment but we love keely so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna keep her and let her know we'll that she her. needs to fire her friend yeah we'll let her off this one um so after after um jack and keely go off to lunch we cut to the richmond dressing room and they're all very impressed that nate has been papped with anastasia um, in the honey and bones, I think it was called I bone and honey. Bon- remember the club, 
the bone and honey, something along those lines in the club. Um, and I really enjoyed the conversation here where they were saying, oh, Anastasia is really sexy. And then uh, it goes on like four or five tangents, this conversation. Um, it's all about a play that's adapted from a saying. And then that play is derived from a French version of the play. Danny Rojas makes something along the lines of, oh, I love pigs. They're like <laughs> toddlers. Uh, they're, they're animals, they're, but with yeah. uh, <laughs> the IQ yeah. of toddlers. And then Isaac turns around and goes, yeah, but Anastasia is proper fit though. And I just thought that circle was really funny. Um, and then they cut to Zava and ask what he thinks of her. And what did you think of Zava's response to this? That was, I think, probably the most on-point characterization they could have had for Zava because of the way they've presented him. And mm. I, I, I do like that he's like, oh, yeah, every other woman is a blur to me because my wife is the world to me. And I'm like, OK, I, I got you. I see you. I see what I thought was I thought it was quite strange that Zava was talking about someone other than himself. Um, like I said to you, when when Zlatan Ibrahimovic, the character that he's based on, was asked what um, he bought his wife or girlfriend for her birthday, he said nothing. She has Zlatan. <laughs> so I think... Um, I think that there may be softening up because that's quite a a nice thing for well, it's a lovely thing for Zava to say. Um, he's not going to comment on other women because he only has eyes for his wife. Um, I just like I didn't think it was out of character. I just thought it was out of left field a little bit. I can see that. Um, but yeah, I, I think yeah. he's he's got that Sting Zen kind of thing going where I feel like Sting. Yeah, he probably has his like ladies on tour, but when he's home, like his wife is. The only thing that matters to him. Yeah. I don't even know if Sting is married, enough. but like that's how I, I picture Sting. See, I only think he may be because he's uh, his, and I put in quote marks, wife is a character in an episode of Friends. Um, so that's as far as I can can get. Um, yeah, that's that's all my knowledge of Sting. <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, uh, but we cut to uh, the coach's room. And they're going through formations and tactics, and they still don't know what works. Um, they're saying that um, four four two, if we use it, we're fucked. Four five one, we're fucked. And uh, they can't quite settle on what they want to do. It's Man City next, and um, Coach uh, Beard has a really good line here, and it's it's also used in a comedy skit by a comedian called Jason Manford um, and they say we've got Man City next we've never beaten Man City and he says I can't believe our white whale has the same name as a strip club I danced in when I was at college <laughs> um, so the, the bit that Jason Manford does is there's Man City and Man United and they both sound like gay clubs which <laughs> is, is funny but the important thing here is they did what they, they do to Trent what they did to mm -hmm. Nate um, in the very first season. And they bring him in as someone who shouldn't technically have a say on tactics. What do you want to do? What what idea do you have that you think you can bring to the table? And it takes some convincing. But Trent does suggest long ball, which after a very short time is shut down. Yeah, and I think a lot of that, there's an under, there's an implication that they can't do any of it because of Zava. They know Zava won't comply yeah. and conform to a strategy that's not him getting the ball and scoring. Yeah, but we, we get a thing where Ted gets a text here from Michelle to say that Henry's been in an accident or something in school, an incident in school, uh, bullying. And Coach Beard's like planning the flight home to I, get this bully. I loved how quickly Beard was like, we're going to burn that fucker's house to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> It was quite scary, really, but the, but Roy Kent's response was bone chilling. It was uh, he said you get you sneak in the house at four a.m. because that's statistically when you're least likely to be able to defend yourself, and you beat them with a rope covered in red paint. So when they wake up sore and covered in red, they don't know what's blood and what's pain. <laughs> and then when they beg you to stop, you laugh and continue to beat them. And then I wrote down my classic, Roy is fucking terrifying here. <laughs> and I, I love the fact Which, that uh, again, maybe maybe I'm reading too much into it, but the fact that Roy is like 4am, it's the time no one knows you're coming, and yet he's training Jamie at 4am. Maybe it's because you're more susceptible true. to for lack of a better word, the indoctrination of the training at 4 a.m. 
Yeah, I'd not thought about it like that. That's very, very true. Um, but we go from this scene to uh, back to Rebecca um, in her office, staring at the matchbook from uh, Sam's restaurant. And Higgins comes in here, and we get our second inclination that the idea of firing Ted is on the cards because Higgins outright suggests it. Um, and it's not an easy thing for him to do, but he does it. And I thought that this was a bit strange from Higgins, if I'm totally honest. I feel like he's a very loyal character, um, but this didn't show a lot of loyalty. Well, he he, it's it's very indirect as to how he says it. He's like, we may have to look into uh, possibly changing um, people who may be in the managerial position. Like he's he's he does not want to say it, but he knows that that's what the fans and the pundits would expect from a losing streak mm. like this or a winless streak like this. And uh, Rebecca says, you want to fire? He's like, when did it sound like I wanted to say that? But it's yeah. it's an option that needs to be addressed at the very least with this. So either they can create a, a public relations strategy of like, we're sticking with Ted. We believe in the lasso way or, they have to publicly be like, maybe Ted's going to be gone soon. You don't know. We don't know. Well, yeah, I just, I thought from Higgins character perspective, it just didn't seem quite in line with what we're used to. But then again, from his role and his job within the club, it's exactly what you should expect. Exactly. And that's kind of where I took it from is he was coming at it from the business side of things, not the personal side. Fair enough. But, but Rebecca changes the subject very quickly to, do you believe in psychics? And of course he does. Because she is becoming a, a believer. Of course he does. <laughs> um, there's a line where he says, we had a psychic tell us we'll have five boys and now we live in a house with wet toilet seats, <laughs> which was quite sweet. But um, <laughs> yeah, there's something about this Rebecca psychic thing. I know they needed to do it for um, the purposes that we outlined in the early episodes because it's driving the story a bit, but part of me still wishes that they could have done it in a way without introducing a psychic yeah the, it's it's too much foreshadowing and now the breadcrumbs mean almost nothing because it, it creates this whole yeah. idea of like a supernatural thing existing in the world yeah um but we go from that really quickly this is a really quick scene I'm, i don't think we need to dwell on it too much there was a good joke in it but we're in nate's office and uh, uh rupert's secretary comes in and gives him Anastasia's phone number because she was surprised that he didn't ask for it at the, the club the night before. Um, and it looks like Nate's going to call her up and ask her on a date. And he goes through the awkward motions of saying we should go for a drink. And then he goes, oh, no, no, sorry, mom. I was just practicing for when I call her, which I thought was quite funny. Uh, I'd not seen that done before. It was a um, really sweet gag that uh, I think... <laughs> again continues to soften nate as we've talked about and uh i like that his mom's like oh you should be a little more assertive and say this instead of this because like obviously yeah. they've, they've discussed such things before well they they are making nate the softest of softness that you've ever seen in this episode there is nothing to harden him back up true within this episode um which I think is good. I think it mm -hmm. works. And then we have another really short scene where Ted and Rebecca walk past each other and Ted calls Rebecca by name rather than boss for the first time in the whole show. Um, and there's a line where Ted says something along the lines of, I can be a little bit psychic sometimes, which throws Rebecca off. And then um, Rebecca says, I shouldn't have bullied you the other night, uh, which is what's on Ted's mind. And... Um, then they part their separate ways. Um, there's quite a lot of this coincidence-based action within this episode, or the early parts of the episode anyway, um, that, you know, I don't know if it was funny. I don't know if it was meant to be funny. If it was, it didn't really Yeah, the, well. the scene didn't land for me at all. Like, I, I didn't feel like it added anything to the episode other than, like, these things that are on their minds are now being spoken by other people. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, basically. But then we move on to a very important scene where Shaz gets fired um, for calling a client at four in the morning and suggesting condoms for balls, <laughs> which I think is meant to show how, how unstable Shaz is. And we see her really not stable towards the end of this scene. But um, she gets fired. She tries to take the whole of the office with her. 
she uh, is unsuccessful. She screams, she cries, she gives flips Barbara off in her face. She hugs Keely, begging to keep her job. She goes mad at poor Dan in the corner and then says, "Suck my dick." <laughs> and it's it was it yeah, was this this whole scene was to show how unstable Shandy is. Right? Yes, and really to kind of solidify how unlikable she is. And I'm. I'm more curious if she's going to be an omnipresence throughout the rest of the season or if this was just kind of like her arc and it, I think this, this is the end of, I hope so because the the end of this uh, scene and really this episode really just kind of soured me on her because kind of like Zava for me, she had her ups and downs where, Oh, she's really competent. She's running a commercial feed for or commercial shoot for banter. And, She's she understands bringing more people closer to the camera and like how to manage a budget. But then she's immediately the next scene undercuts herself and is just like a complete dipshit who's only based basing anything off of what gets me the most tweets and what makes me go viral. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is the opposite of the Chandy. I think we got introduced to at the start and, and I think that's by design. Um but I think you're right. I think it's the right time for her to, to see the door, to be honest with you. Um, but then we move to Rebecca at a fertility clinic. And she knows the doctor, so she's been here before. Or she knows the doctor from elsewhere. But the assumption is that she's been at this clinic before. Yeah. Um, the distraction here is the doctor is a Richmond fan <laughs> and seems to just want to talk about football. Um, but this whole scene is about sowing the seeds of hope in Rebecca that she she can in fact have children because as we said before the implication is that she can't in in some fashion either by her age or she is infertile completely yeah and and it's another scene that I think is is used to carry a little bit but there's not a whole lot here to dig really deep into um unless there's something you think I've missed here um no I don't I don't think you're wrong um the doctor is kind of playing a little bit and uh, it's again trying to play off of Rebecca's newfound hope with all these signs mm. that have been coming her way and I'm not I don't want to jump ahead to the end of the episode but I do feel like the way the psychic talked to her uh, previously she said you're going to be a mother she never promised that she's going to have a baby so I feel like this True. is kind of I'm not sure where it's going to go because I do want to lean more into the hopeful side of things because the end of the episode is kind of ambiguous. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't think that yeah. I think they intentionally left us hanging until next week or maybe even the week after to give us Rebecca's fertility answer. Yeah. Well, what you're doing there, Josh is believing in hope. <laughs> you are believing in belief. It's true. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's ingrained in you deeper than you. It, think. Oh, I, I um, know it is. We, that's, that's my mom and uh, me growing up on movies like the land before time and all the Disney stuff. <laughs> nice. Um, well, we cut from here to Richmond's gym and it's the day before the Man City game. And Isaac has a really great line here where he says, that's it, everyone early night tonight, no video games before bed. And then I've written the quote down here. He says, except if it's Animal Crossing, because that shit is fucking soothing. <laughs> and they all agree, which I thought was really funny. Um, but it did beg a question. In the first episode, they dropped quite a lot of Nintendo references. And here's another one. Do you think there's some kind of deal there? I think it, it might be more that they understand that through the pandemic, people have picked up more gaming hobbies. So they're trying to just remain uh, okay. a little bit relevant. Fair I enough. don't think that especially through the first episode, they they clearly don't know the content that they're talking about. So I <laughs> feel like true. they just know that Animal Crossing is just like a, a, a very relaxing, soothing game. There's there's a, a story about a footballer um, called Mesa Ozil, who was a real-life footballer who was very, very, very top of his game. And he played for a club that you mentioned earlier in the table, Arsenal, who are top of the league now. Um, and he was out for a few weeks because he injured his back playing Fortnite for too long. Um, he did an eight-hour Fortnite stream and then was injured for a few weeks afterwards with a, with a bad back. Oh, no. <laughs> so I think this is maybe what it could be references. But um, Jamie in this scene tries a rousing speech, and he says, 
we can be anyone on our day. We are rich from blah, blah, blah. And the scene, the speech falls really flat with the, the whole of the team apart from Zava, who basically delivers the same speech, but in a more eloquent way. And everyone loves it. <laughs> yeah, they, they eat it up. Uh, one thing I will say about uh, Zava before he really gets into his speech, he's holding a, a 20 pound weight and he just like shoves it aside and like, the the production guy in me knows that that's just a prop it's just probably just plastic or foam <laughs> and so you just see him chuck it aside a 20 pound weight and you're like that's not real <laughs> what do you mean it's Sava. he's he's strongest man alive most athletic <laughs> man that ever lived um no i agree um but yeah i i did think that Zava delivered this well better than jamie mm-hmm. but in jamie's eyes it's exactly the same thing he says i said exactly the same thing but uh then we go to ted's house and we find out that the incident that was mentioned earlier henry wasn't the bully uh henry wasn't bullied sorry he was the bully um and this kind of knocks ted for six and it's another one of those scenes that is just carrying it a little bit this episode is full of short sharp bursts mm-hmm. more so than any other episode within the the show i think um because after that we cut right back to keely's office yeah and um, um, going really quickly back into the ted's ted finds out that henry bullied another kid really subtle uh if you kind of like if you watch the the most recent knives out glass onion um you see ted reach for a water as michelle's calling him and then he gets the news that uh henry was the bully he puts the the water pitcher back and starts opening a a bottle of wine Uh. Whiskey. And it's like, oh, whiskey, probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's he's like, oh, this is this is a heavier conversation than I thought it would be. Kind of like how we're going to feel for the rest of the episode. Yeah, this is where this episode really gets quite heavy. Um, but well, there's one scene before that. It's match day. It's Richmond, and we're at Keeley's office, and Keeley invites Jack to the game, and everyone's leaving. So uh, there's a question I have for you here, Josh. Jack says to Barbara, can I use your office for some calls? She says, yeah, yeah, of course. Just don't look in my office desk drawer. And they all laugh. And then she goes, no, seriously, don't look in the office desk drawer. Josh, what's in the drawer? (laughs) We're playing who was phone, huh? Who was phone, yeah. (laughs) Shout out to Tim. Uh, What is in the drawer that Barbara would be embarrassed by? We know she's got her snow globes out, so that's, that's not it. I think there's either something to do with Jack or there's sex stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I think it could be something to do with Rebecca based on how uh, she acted around her in the last few episodes. Um, That's true. But let's be real. I think the implication here is sex stuff. Yeah. So that was that was what's in desk, 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 desk. <laughs> um but once again, another short, sharp scene, and we cut back to Richmond, and we're in the dressing room, but Zava's not there. Zava's nowhere to be seen, and, and when it gets onto the pitch, Colin is taking the place of Zava, um, despite all the fans wearing their Zava shirts and chanting Zava. Colin has made the starting eleven, and Zava can't be found. And So um, this this scene bothered me with them getting on to the pitch and getting ready to start. Um, you would think the broadcasters and everything would have gotten wind that Zava no showed. Well, they announced a team lineup an hour before kickoff. So yeah. yeah, so like the way they're presenting it is it's that the they just saw everyone get on the pitch and they're like, oh hey, Colin is starting in place of Zava. Well, That's weird. You you can make changes before that hour if, but it's for injuries within the warm up. So uh, I guess they're taking a bit of a creative license with that. Um, and, and suspending your disbelief a little bit really, um, because it's more impactful. Um, but I agree. Everyone would know that he wasn't in the building. These yeah. things get leaked very, very, very quickly. And even um, if it wasn't leaked, the team would probably make some kind of announcement that like, hey, Zava no showed. Yeah. Well, the team probably wouldn't actually because so there's a thing where managers will not announce their lineup until the very last second, because yeah. if you do, it's easier for the opposition to create a tactic around your missing mm-hmm. star player. So, um, so yeah, that bit doesn't surprise me, but. 
but it still gets leaked and it gets out that the Zava isn't isn't about. Uh, there was another joke here, which I thought was quite good, not related to anything. Ted walks into the room with Coach Beard and says, 115 straight days and no pee drops on the khakis, which uh, was, was quite good. And Beard goes, new record. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's when Roy comes in and says, we've got a problem. Um, we actually cut to Keeley's office and we find out what, what Shandy's revenge was. And Josh, talk me through Shandy's revenge. Uh, so if you remember when we were first introduced to Shandy, we are dealing with a goat in a club and the, uh, animal expert on site says, Hey, it's a good thing that we're past so many weeks with this little goat baby, because if she were still like nine weeks or younger, it would stink to high heaven. And sure enough, Shandy has bought, brought in a young baby goat or lamb. I think yeah, it might be lamb. a lamb that is now shitting all over their conference room table. I I have written in my notes, there is poop everywhere. That was a lot of poop for, you can assume wouldn't a lamb that wouldn't be in there for a, a massive amount of time. Um, but to do that much poo in a very short period, very impressive from that lamb. <laughs> um, but Jack actually laughs when she notices, showing that she's not phased by it. Uh, she complains about the smell, but when when they make a joke about having to clean it up, she laughs rather than recoils in horror. And I think it's once again showing Jack's kind of... Um, she's very laid back. She's very laid back. Um, we then cut to Nate's favourite restaurant with Anastasia. Now... Nate might have a problem and uh, needs to talk to someone about his obsession with Jade because he's brought Anastasia there. He he makes this speech later on about how the restaurant means everything to him and it is everything. They celebrate everything there. But the, the, the thought process here, he's brought this woman that everyone thinks is incredibly beautiful to sit in the best seat at the restaurant that Jade is working at. <laughs> Um, he's obsessed with Jade, and it's all about her, really. He yes. wants to make her jealous. Yeah, he he wants to show her up and be like, "Hey, I tried to impress you the other week, and now look at me." Yeah, yeah. And there's there's a bit. Anastasia hates the restaurant. She says it's not very nice in front of Jade. And Nate defends her in a, in a very Nate kind of sheepish way, but he does defend her and says that like it might not be the nicest decor, but the food is amazing, and um, yeah. I, yeah, I just... and he like he promotes it in his own way, talking about how the food is all like locally made and yeah. prepared, and it it's just it and it has personal meaning to him. Every big event that his family's ever had, they come to this restaurant to celebrate. Yeah, yeah, but this is the bit where we get really quick cuts. So we've we've gone from that to the game. We're going to cut back and forth between the PR office, the restaurant, and the game quite a lot here. So we're at the game and. um the doctor is texting Rebecca, the fertility doctor, saying, I'll, let, I'll give you a call after the game. Go Richmond. Once again, solidifying that he is a Richmond fan, um, cares dearly about the club. Um, and then we're sat on the bench, uh, or Ted is, sorry, and Beard and, and Roy join him. And uh, they're going through all the people that they've contacted. No one can get hold of Zava. And then Ted says, maybe he's dead. And Roy says, he fucking better be. <laughs> which uh, I thought was a really good line. I, I had a thought that maybe he could end up dead just because, again, I, I there has to be a way to get Zava out of the picture. And it didn't seem to me that what the we'll, we'll just cut around. Uh, we'll we'll kind of section this off. So we'll do the game. Uh, yeah, good the show. PR and uh, the restaurant. And um, so in the game, we after the game concludes, we find out that Zava has just decided to retire. Yeah. He gave this rousing speech yesterday about how the team can rally and do what they do and win this game, but he no-showed them, which obviously affected their morale. And But uh, as a part of his big speech, he says, you do not win because you have Zava. You have win because of, you, you win because of the people in this room. So I think he maybe did think about it. I don't think it was an impulsive decision for him to retire. I think mm -hmm. it was an impulsive way of him actually doing it. But um, but I think there was they were sowing the seeds that something like that was going to happen. They were just extremely subtle. 
Yeah, because there's that shot in the very beginning of the episode when they lose their most recent match before this Man City game where uh, Zava's on his own on the pitch, just kind of walking around with his hands on his hips, which you think it's just out of disappointment, but maybe he's considered, I, even though I've scored two goals, I, it's not enough. Maybe yeah. I'm just not enough anymore to carry a team. Maybe. Maybe. I, I don't think we've seen the last of Zava, though. Maybe I, I just so hope either. we haven't. <laughs> Max, please, please reach out. You're the third part of this podcast. Let us know. <laughs> and thanks again for introducing this episode. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so where do you want to go next? Do you want to go to the PR? Uh, let's go to the PR firm. Okay. So because of all the mess, Keely and uh, Jack have to clean it up and they're going to miss the game. And once they've cleaned up, they have a drink in the office shandy's vodka and jack has a good line of here where she says where did she hide it and keely says on her desk which kind of <laughs> says exactly what shandy is but josh this is the first prediction i've made throughout this whole series that has come true i said in the last episode i think that jack might be a love interest for keely mm-hmm. and what do we have here we have a scene where they kiss and they're very passionate with each other Yep. Keely, uh, in a drunken stupor, leans in and kisses Jack after they've kind of bonded. And she like pulls away immediately. And she's like, sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Non-consenting adult. And then Jack says, fully consenting and goes right in for it. <laughs> Good for them. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they were talking before that a little bit about their exes. Um, and Keely said that uh, I've written it down here exactly what she says. Um, she's tired of... Uh, feeling bad because of the breakup with Roy essentially. Well, she she admits that it still hurts, which is in, really important, I think. I I I don't think that Keely and Jack will end up together as a couple. I think this is a fling for them. Mm-hmm. But she admits that that it still really hurts that her and Roy broke up. Which I think Yeah, is... this could be the thing that ignites Keely to feel again and she decides she wants to be with Roy. When we have a shorter episode, maybe I'll I'll go into some more predictions, but every prediction I've had is wrong. Uh, even last week, I was like, something's weird with Jack. Maybe she's transgender. No, she's just gay or bi. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, we can't have Keely and Jack because Geely or Cack doesn't sound good. <laughs> That's um, true. I mean, Geely's yeah. not terrible, but it's still a little... It reminds me too much of that Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's that's the PR firm. And then at the same time, we have Nate in the restaurant and Anastasia is not having a good time. Um, she tried to post a photo of uh, the food to Instagram and she says, I can't post this. It looks like vomit and people will be sick. It's um, And then she, she says, I need to check up on a friend who has the flu. And then very blatantly grabs her Coke glasses phone uh, and jumps in a convertible and drives away with her friends. That has been waiting for her. Yeah. So the, this was clearly not just a, on a whim. But the the <laughs> my note here is, why on earth are they playing Wham! in the convertible? <laughs> They're playing Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Like, it's a why? good jam, man. Are you, are you hating on my jam? No, no. I'm not hating on it, but I am suggesting that celebrities like Anastasia would probably not choose Wham! as their choice of convertible music in the middle of London. That's fair. Considering Anastasia is probably supposed to be somewhere between like 21 and 27. Yeah. So she probably would not be listening to Wham! just because she would not think of Wham! ever. I feel like she might ask the question, who is George Michael and why do I hear things (laughs) about him? Um, but yeah, so that's that's it. And then then Jade comes over and offers um, some Nate some baklava, which he described as divine, uh, which he got ridiculed for. Um, baklava or baklava? Um, so I call it bak- baklava. Baklava. Oh wow! Emphasis on the var there. Yeah, it, I I only call it that because that's uh, how Homestar Runner says it, I believe. Okay. All right. Well, we'll go with baklava then. Um, but apparently, <laughs> but yeah, that's they, they call it back lava or some similar. <laughs> um, but but Jade agrees to share the portion that she's brought out with Nate, 
um, and they end up having what looks like we don't hear anything else from them after this. They end up having having what looks like a really lovely time together. First date time. First date. Nate time. is official. Well done, Nate. Very proud of you. See, that's lovely, soft Nate. Yep, he gets the girl. He gets the girl, um, and then we get cut to Ted. So, so cutting back, we're more in a less choppy sequence here. Um, we cut back to the coach's room and Ted is beginning to have a panic attack with all of these results going the wrong way. He does the thing where you can hear his heartbeat again. Um, but what breaks this up is Henry calls him and basically accepts his wrongdoing. And he says he apologized to the kid he bullied by doing an apology rap in front of his class, which Josh, you might need to educate me here. What is going on with this? Because if that was in my school, you would be bullied, turned into bullied very quickly. I think that's kind of the point. It seems okay. like something uh, a very Ted Lasso, someone raised by Ted Lasso would have them okay. do. So it's not, a, it's not a regular thing in American education. Not that I'm aware of. Okay, cool. May, or maybe we both grew up on mean streets. That's, uh, <laughs> that's all it is. We didn't grow up on the golden paved streets of Cam- Kansas. Um, but but then so in the same room at the other time Higgins confirms that Zava has retired and the team watch his announcement video confirming his retirement and the thing I noted about this is they're all distraught but then Jamie and Roy are keeping eye contact throughout the whole thing they're like look we've got one over here because we are training hard we can be better than Zava ever was which Mm -hmm. I thought was a lovely touch yeah and then um one thing we skipped over at the end of the call with Henry is that Ted finally beats a panic attack. Uh, he, yeah. he, he just, he does his breathing exercises that he learned from Dr. Sharon. Uh, he just repeats to himself that Henry is okay. And then he gives a nice little smirk, which uh, I believe it's the Ted Lasso gifts Twitter account pointed out that like, that's, that's the smirk of someone who has beaten their first panic attack. Yeah. Well, and I, I um, it was a really, again, body language just kind of coming through in this episode. Yeah, I, I uh, so, so I was going to come back to that in a second. It, it goes on concurrently with this scene with Zava. Um, I was listening to something today where someone was describing a panic attack as a conspiracy theory that your brain is making up about yourself. And I thought that was a really lovely way of putting it. But as you said, he, he, kind of chance henry's okay henry's okay henry's okay exactly as the doctor did for him saying ted you're okay ted you're okay ted you're okay and i thought mm-hmm. that was a really nice callback to the doctor from from series two um but josh we move on to the best scene in any ted lasso episode ever with ted's speech we don't need zava how do you want to do this scene um so let's Let's kind of talk about it uh, before we get to the speech overall. But uh, so Ted walks out and he's just he's feeling great. He's beaten this panic attack. He's not going to address the Zava in the room because Zava is no longer in the room. Yeah. And the team's like, hey, what about Zava? He abandoned us. And he's like, Ted says, well, he didn't really abandon us. It's more like he just left the sport. Mm. and uh you like he wouldn't take it personally if the someone you dumped you and then the next person they dated was their soulmate and he's like oh, yeah, yeah i guess and uh he goes on a little bit about belief again and kind of doing his his rallying cry but then as we discussed last week the believe sign gets a bad gust of wind coming from the wrong direction and the other side of the sign falls yeah and the team just freaks out and says it's a sign uh bumper catch i believe is the one who comes out and colin also says like we're done we're screwed yeah uh but bumper catch is the one that's like this is a sign we're doomed and i do then, like that they kept saying this is a sign when it was literally a sign yes and the, <laughs> the name of the episode is signs yeah and then we get the best ted lasso speech here which we could not do justice so i i picked the sound clip up and uh it's about two minutes long so Strap yourselves in. We will be back at the end of this soundbite. Prepare to be inspired. It is a sign. I agree. Yeah. Fact is, it's just a sign. All right, 
guys, listen to me. Belief doesn't just happen because you hang something up on a wall. All right? It comes from in here, you know, and up here, down here. Only problem is we all got so much junk floating through us, a lot of times we end up getting in our own way. You know, crap like envy or fear, shame. I don't want to mess around with that shit anymore. You know what I mean? Do you? No, no, no. No. Do you? No. No. No, me neither. Hell no. Now, you know what I want to mess around with? The belief that I matter, you know? Regardless of what I do or don't achieve. Or the belief that we all deserve to be loved. Whether we've been hurt or maybe we've hurt somebody else. Or what about the belief of hope? Yeah, that's what I want to mess with. Believing that things can get better, that I can get better, that we will get better. Oh, man. To believe in yourself, to believe in one another, man, that's, that's fundamental to being alive. And look, yo, hey, if you can do that, if each of you can truly do that, Can't nobody rip that apart. See y'all Monday? Yes. Oh, Ted, you have my heart. And the, the editing for that sequence as well is just fantastic because there are some very obvious uh, foreshadowings going on because when Ted talks about shame, we cut to Colin who looks around really quickly like, oh man, uh, he, he does he know and then uh, the, when he's talking about hope we cut to Rebecca holding the the matchbook and that's where I think we I think we missed the call from the doctor where uh, Hannah Waddingham yes, puts in a, a a performance of a lifetime without saying a dang word I'm so um, glad you said that because my notes here I'm really sorry I missed that I put Hannah Waddingham's performance was outstanding and I love when directors make their actors act without saying a word um rebecca gets a call that she's well it's never said explicitly but the look on hannah waddingham's face or rebecca's face i should say um tells us that it's not the news that she wanted and just the 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 look the emotion you can see the thoughts going through her head and it is heartbreaking yeah um yeah what a excellently shot and directed piece of tea yes and, and performed uh, i the the hope in me is is hoping that it, it's more ambiguous but most everyone seems to think it's bad news for yeah. rebecca and her fertility but it i don't know i i i just love that there's clearly something with rebecca going on where they emphasize her when ted's talking about hope and um, maybe she is kind of realizing that maybe it's not fertility. Maybe it's more being a mother to someone yeah. um, in another way. Yeah. And, and then you also get cuts of Nate and Jade um, throughout the speech, which is like a really beautiful shot. I love the way that they've used uh, the fairy lights to light almost the whole scene there. So that while still getting a little bit of the set that, that they're in it's very obvious that this is not just jade sitting down and feeling sorry for him this is like a successful looking first date for nate yeah and then we also get uh, a shot of keely and jack hooking up in the office to put it in a not so eloquent term uh <laughs> and then as ted's talking about how you how we may have hurt someone and uh talking about how you deserve to be loved um obviously roy is thinking of keely in that moment through the editing and everything yeah. Um, yeah, it just, just so much good stuff happening, not just the words, but the editing, the acting. And this whole sequence is capped with Roy walking over uh, towards Jamie to, to leave. And Jamie says 4 a.m. And Roy says fucking right. 
pats him yeah. on the shoulder and walks out and that's the episode well i thought that was a really cool ending because the last thing before that was see you on monday no training tomorrow see you monday and then it gets 4 a.m fucking right so just because zava's out of the picture does not mean jamie is willing to to rest and stop um which is like great and and continues our belief that jamie and roy are excellently grown characters throughout ted lasso so Josh, and roy recognizes it too yeah absolutely um what we should say is the noise you heard at the end there was ted tearing up the sign the iconic belief sign that is on the thumbnail of this podcast that is has been prevalent throughout the whole series it was put up in episode one and now it looks like it's gone um and josh shared a tweet with me from the ted lasso twitter that that has a picture of the sign torn up and it says belief is kind of like mc hammer sure you can't touch it but it's still super infectious (laughs) which is great uh, like that leads into my final thoughts in the episode, which is something that's bothered me throughout the entire season is that Isaac for all intents and purposes seems to be a really good captain, but he seems to believe in like the karma of everything. He doesn't necessarily seem to think that like we need to put in the extra work, the extra effort to be better. He thinks that because we believe and we have the hope and we have the talent, it'll just fall into place. And now with this speech that Ted's given, he's putting that belief in them, saying we need to work at it, not just look at the sign and be like, I did my thing today. I touched the sign. I believe things will work out. Um, Josh, out of 10, what do you give this episode? Oh, it's so heavy. And I it's one of those episodes that's like, this isn't what I come to Ted Lasso for, but it's so good. <laughs> Uh, I think I'd have to give it an eight and a half. Uh, it it yeah. could go up more depending on how it plays out throughout the rest of the season. Well, I'm I'm going to say nine. I think without the speech at the end, I would have gone an eight. But that speech, the, everything from Hannah's, uh, sorry, Hannah, I keep calling Rebecca Waddingham. My <laughs> God, Hannah Waddingham. Hannah, and I mean to call her Rebecca. Every single piece of acting from Rebecca's phone call with the doctor. And I can't stress how how good hannah waddingham's performance was in that reaction everything from that to the end of this episode bumped it up another point for me i just thought it was like emmy worthy excellence um and i'm really really looking forward to to um next week like i i always look forward to ted lasso because i love ted lasso but this one has got me really excited to see where it goes so nine out of ten for me best one uh, looking ahead so to next week's episode, um, it's called Sunflowers, and it, it seems like this might be the beard episode of the season, but oh, it no. seems to be focusing on multiple people, <laughs> not just beard. So hopefully good. we get at least multiple good stories out of it. And maybe there's going to be one dud. I made it sound like I really hate Coach Beard. I don't. I just hate that beard episode. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, Josh, we didn't get to it last week because we, we ran over so much. Um, we are just about to hit the hour mark, but with editing, we should have time for a quiz and a really quick mad story from the real world of football. Um, All right. So quick fire quiz. We've got four, five questions. Uh, and the first one is, which Premier League team has the highest capacity stadium? Uh, whoever plays at Wembley. Oh, well, that would be true <laughs> a few years ago because Tottenham did have it as their home ground when they developed it, but no one plays at Wembley. It's a national stadium. So the answer is Manchester United. Old Trafford has a 74,000 capacity, and I know for American football that's small fry, but here that's big. <laughs> um, in the highest scoring Premier League football game, how many goals were scored? I'll say 18. Oof. You're very, very optimistic, as always, Josh. It was 11. Uh, that was Portsmouth 7, Reading 4. In 2007, I believe. Maybe. I don't know. Hmm. Um, how many clubs in the Premier League get Champions League football in a regular season? Six. Six get Europe, four get Champions League. So uh, the answer is four, unfortunately. It doesn't help that I didn't understand the question. <laughs> I just threw out my, a number. <laughs> my fault. So so um, if you remember, we spoke about the creme de la creme of the Premier League being the top four. 
Uh, okay. And the creme de la creme competition is the Champions League. So those top four will get positions in the Champions League to play in Europe. Okay. Uh, okay, big question for you now. What was the price that PSG paid... Sorry, I'll use full names. What was the price that Paris Saint-Germain paid Barcelona for Neymar, making him the most expensive player of all time? Now, the transfer was completed in euros, so I'd like the, the amount in euros, please. It's a rounded number. You'll be all right. Let's so the say... nearest five million... Let's say, oh man, you're giving me prices right rules, but okay. Let's say 785 million euros. The game is expensive, Josh. It's not quite that expensive. The most expensive <laughs> player of all time is 222 million. So I would have expected, accepted 220 from you. Man, you guys are so cheap over there. You guys got to understand <laughs> your value. Baseball um, players are out here getting like $300 million contracts. Well, the, the contracts are big, but this was purely the transfer fee between the two clubs. Gotcha. Um, okay. So another player that Paris Saint-Germain got from Barcelona was considered the greatest player of all time. He's currently at the club. His name is Lionel Messi. How much did Paris Saint-Germain pay Barcelona for the best player of all time? This is the transfer fee yeah. that I have just learned about. Yeah. Let's say 190 million euros. Uh, you are off by 190 million euros. <laughs> they got him two seasons ago for free wow. because he ran his contract down and Barcelona couldn't afford, even after receiving 222 million euros, they couldn't afford to keep him at the club and register him for the season. So um, that's a pretty mad story in itself, but I do have one for you. I'm going to fly through it to make sure your editing woes ahead of uh, Sunday aren't too poor, Josh. <laughs> I appreciate um, it. Uh, unfortunately, in that quiz is your lowest performance of zero. Um, we'll we'll get back on the horse soon. It's I blame the fact that we had a break last week. So my story to you, I did tell you I was going to do this before. It's called the Battle of Nuremberg. Sounds very heavy. Yes. And I mean, it is quite heavy, but it's not quite a war story heavy. In the 2006 World Cup uh, in Germany, there was a game between the Port Portugal and the Netherlands. This game has the record in the World Cup for the most booking and red cards in a 90-minute game. It was started when um, a Dutch player, Van Bronckhorst, I believe, was booked in the second minute of the game, which is pretty unheard of. Refs are pretty lenient for the first few minutes. Um, but this started off feisty. Cristiano Ronaldo was taken off the pitch injured in the first 15 minutes. Uh, there was a goal in the first half, and these two teams were unbeaten going into this game. So they were playing beautiful football, and everyone expected loads of goals. Unfortunately, there was one goal in the game, and it was in the first 20 minutes. Um, but the first red card came before half time, so Portugal were down to 10 men. Figo, who's a Portuguese legend, got away with headbutting Van Bommel, didn't get a red card, he got a yellow card for it because the ref thought it was a coming together. And then I've got the name of the Dutch player, but I'm not even going to try and offend a nation of people by pronouncing it. Um, <laughs> Netherlands got the second red card of the game, and we were down to 10 men versus 10 men. This second red of the game sparked a fight in the dugouts and players got booked that weren't even on the pitch. There was a second scuffle shortly after and a further three players were booked. Deco, another Portuguese legend, was sent off uh, in the very early stages of the second half. And then towards the end of the game, we received the second red card for the Netherlands. And the game ended with four red cards and 16 yellow cards. Um Jeez. It was so violent from the outset that uh, if you search the Battle of Nuremberg, um, FIFA, who are very like, our sport is non-contact, um, <laughs> have, have a whole documentary series on how violent and ridiculous that game was. So that is the Battle of Nuremberg in 2006. Sounds like a fun match. Yeah, sounds great. Uh, it actually leads to what Barb said in, in this episode where they said... I was just about to reference wanna, that. Do you want to come to the game? And she said, is it going to be as violent as last time? And Keely said, no. And she went, oh, give it a miss then. <laughs> <laughs> she would love American football. Yeah, I'm sure she would. Um, 
It's the padding, though, Josh. They're too well protected in American football. We need more injuries, is what we need. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, the concussions kind of don't help everything. Uh, no. <laughs> I just, not to go off on a terrible tangent, I just saw an article today that said like uh, the NFL has approved a new helmet that is exclusive to quarterbacks, and it has uh, been tested to minimize concussions in quarterbacks by seven percent. And I'm just like, does it hold the brain still? Because that's how you get a concussion is the brain rattling inside your skull. (laughs) The helmet doesn't stop that. My my, there's too much padding comment was quite flippant. I do understand that they are (laughs) absolutely hit like buses um, in in the NFL. um, Just before your probably uh, exclusively American audience don't don't like the, the Brit that you brought on, Josh. (laughs) <laughs> well too bad he's here to stay get in there 10 years for at least seven more weeks <laughs> and then we'll review his contract <laughs> and with that let's start heading out of here uh joey where can people find you on social media well i normally say uh check me out on the uh, talking smack discord and you should do that but also um listen to my other podcast if you if you wish called game club pod uh, Tim and I have also started a spin-off, which you can find in the Game Club Pod feed called Two Blokes from Blighty. Um, we are at Game Club Pod on Twitter. You can find me there. And of course, on the Talking Smack Discord. You can find me on Twitter at Josh underscore Scar. You can follow the podcast at Talking Smack Pod. You can email us if you're enjoying Talking Lasso and you're enjoying Ted Lasso. If you can get to get an email to us before we record on Thursdays, uh, you can send that to tsmackpod at gmail.com. Type in all caps in the subject line, Ted Lasso or Talking Lasso. Either way, it has to be all caps. Otherwise, I'm not reading it. (laughs) But with that, in the words of Ted Lasso. Be curious, not judgmental. Now scram. Whistle. Whistle. (laughs) Scram. Scram. Whistle. Whistle. 